holy moly, everything uh, around public narrative was managed by bots. Like, it's so cheap to run a bot campaign that it really distorts what truth is. And we see that every day actually on Twitter, especially during COVID. Welcome back to The Founder's Couch. This is a show about the most inspiring student founders and their intrepid journeys of starting their own thing. I'm your host, Catherine Jane. My hope with this show is to shed light on the journeys, stories, and lessons of student founders. And especially during these trying times of COVID-19, I believe there's more light to be shed, more insights to be shared with all of y'all. For those listeners out there who are interested in entrepreneurship but limited to the confines of your own home, hopefully this plants a seed of inspiration for you. Today on the show, we've got Shuyao Kong. Shuya is a student at Harvard Business School who grew up in Beijing, China. She did her undergrad at Smith College and in between undergrad and business school, worked at IBM, Consensus, and Brave in Nigeria, UAE, and China. She's the co-founder and chief motivator of Human ID, a one-click anonymous login replacing login with Facebook. So far, the company has released one test app and integrated with another client, a COVID tracking app in India. Human ID has received funding from Harvard Social Impact Fund. Right now, the team consists of three co-founders, 20 volunteers, and close to 10 open source engineers, and is looking to bring on more volunteers across business and technical functions. Inspiration behind Human ID initially struck when Shriya's co-founder, Bastian, joined a political campaign in Indonesia and realized the severity of bot network in corrupting civil dialogue online. Bastian reached out to Shriya because of her background in crypto and privacy, and the two became good friends and later co-founders. That's when Human ID was born. Now onto the show. Let's get Shuya on the couch. Hey Shuya, how's it going? Good. How are you, Catherine? I'm good. Um, how are you doing? All good. Trying to survive in Boston. It's getting better. It's, it's getting warmer, I have to say. Really? Because we snowed back in May, uh, I think two weeks ago. Uh, and I, I was in Dubai before HBS, so the snow was definitely shocking to me. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's getting quite warm here in Texas, too. So, Shuya, tell me, tell me about where, where you come from. Which city did you grow up? Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in Beijing uh, until I was 17, then came to the States, went to Smith College for my undergrad. Awesome. And where did you, th- you study there? I did uh, psychology, which was my passion. Uh, I also did economics, which was uh, every Asian parent's passion. Uh, right. <laughs> you want to check the, uh, your, uh, your employable uh, checklist. Yeah, absolutely. That's hilarious. Um, so Shuya, I've already told listeners a summary of what Human ID does, but could you tell me a little bit about what your company does in your own words? Yeah, sure. So um, I always tell people that Human ID is here to replace login with Facebook. Um, so it's a single sign-on uh, that will keep users completely anonymous while also helping consumer applications to block bots, trolls, and abusive users. Um, for those audience who are a bit more technical, uh, we basically take a hash uh, of users' phone number and then we delete the phone number, so we only keep the hash. We don't know who you are. Um, and then we'll take that hash as a token and communicate that to our platforms. In our last conversation, you mentioned that, so it's a team of three co-founders, right? And your first co-founder, he came up with this idea after joining a political campaign. And then you said that he reached out to you to join forces. So can you tell me a little bit more about that story? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, Bastian, my co-founder, is an absolutely uh, geek in uh, researching fake ID, bot network, fake news, and all of that. Uh, so he, uh, he was taking uh, time off between his first and second year at HBS. Uh, he is actually a second time founder. So he successfully found an e-commerce company in, in Indonesia, uh, being you know, a German himself, uh, sold the company and as actually exploring what's next. Uh, he decided to focus something that's more impactful rather than just a for-profit uh, company. Um, and then, of course, he's uh, very involved in politics, love to debate, which is often our uh, our dinner conversation <laughs> when we're not working <laughs> on human ID. Uh, so he was helping this political campaign uh, in, in the uh, political party for their campaign in Indonesia, and he realized that holy moly, everything uh, around public narrative was managed by bots. Like it's so cheap to run a bot campaign that it really distorts what truth is. And we see that every day actually on Twitter, especially during COVID. Uh, actually, recent research shows that 50% of uh, COVID-related content on Twitter are uh, run by bots. So this is the extent to which the severity of fake news out there just don't know what's true. So he did all his research and he realized that, hang on, like, there's got to be something to solve it. And he came up with human ID really, uh, the secret sauce is really to make human very easy to sign up on human ID, but make it costly for bots to do it. So it creates a natural barrier uh, to, to keep your network uh, clean to a certain extent. So he came back to HBS after five years in Indonesia. Um, and um, so he was looking for a co-founder and people who actually contribute to the cause because we're nonprofit, open source, heavily rely on volunteers. Uh, I was running the entrepreneurship club at that time at HBS. Um, so he naturally was like talking to different clubs and trying to find people. And then realized that I have a privacy background. I, I used, I worked for Brave uh, and was involved in the blockchain sector, working at Consensus uh, prior to HBS. So we kind of talked about all the mess the world is in. Uh, and uh, and then we were in a few classes together and kind of were both interested in political topic. Um, so we became friends first and then um, earlier this year, end of last year, he was asking like, do I want to be more engaged? And um, I, I think working on something that's impactful is more important than anything else. So I joined forces. Absolutely. That's so interesting that it was almost friends first and then co-founders. That's very cool. So something they always teach, at least at Stanford with the startup garage classes, is how when you come up with an idea, you're supposed to, you know, validate it. Um, talk to users, stuff like that. Obviously security is, you know, people know it's an issue, but how did you make sure that there was like a large enough market, a large enough need for something like this? Yeah, so I think there are two questions uh, here. The first one is the market needs. Um, I think it's pretty clear that uh, privacy is an increasing concern. Uh, actually 50% of um, Americans, according to the Pew Research, 50% of Americans don't trust Google or Facebook to track uh, themselves during COVID. Uh, and a lot of people say that, you know, people actually don't care about privacy. Like think about, you know, Facebook, uh, people's data actually only worth, I think, what, $19 uh, or $17. It's not that much. Uh, but we, we, during our research, we did a lot of customer research. Uh, people actually do care. Like actually when people download a new application and sign up, they think about, okay, do I use Facebook? Do I use Google? Or do I use my junk email, my work email? It's actually pretty complicated, people's decision tree. 
and that's because people care. So I think that's where the uh, the consumer validation is. Um, the second validation is really law enforcement. So if you think about GDPR, CCPA, I mean, for sure, Facebook is compliant uh, GDPR wise, but there's actually a lot of nitty gritty that goes in there. That's extremely debatable. Uh, for those who are, you know, who can who wants to kick on this, I'm, I'm happy to talk to them. Uh, so I think the second, that's the first question of market validation. I think there's just the overall trend uh, going now. That's where the future is. Um, the second uh, question you were asking about security. Uh, we're an open source uh, community, uh, which means everybody can see our, our source code. Uh, but that also brings a lot of benefits because we can bring like uh, cryptographers, a cybersecurity expert. Uh, one of our advisor is, uh, you know, an expert uh, used to work at um, Israeli uh, army for nine years. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's kind of how we ensure, from a collective wisdom perspective, how we ensure that our, our security is good. So I want to kind of dig into the first part of your answer. So you mentioned that, you know, it's clear that security from these customer interviews, that it's a, it's a big issue for them. So did you run any prototypes by these user interviews after initially doing those kind of soft questions? Um, yeah, so we did. Uh, we, we started um, validating the information and it was pretty much a, a startup uh, route, even though we're a nonprofit because Bastion built e-commerce and I came from a mobile banking application background. Um, so we prototyped. Uh, we uh, had a test app run actually um, up and running already in the app store. Uh, when we do our customer research, we really drill down to each screen. Like we, because a sign on, it's literally just two screens. Like you have to see the button, you read something, you get an OTP, you sign in, right? So but every right. single word matters. So now with COVID, when we do a customer interview, it's, a, it's like over Zoom, it's slightly harder. But before we used to be like, okay, tell me what the sentence means to you or like observe how they actually behave. Um, so it's not different from, um, you know, any other uh, tech startups. Mm, that's really cool to hear that, you know, like even though you knew that it was a big need out there, you actually went and tested it with users and really confirmed that. Yeah. So another point now I think about, I, um, I should have mentioned uh, why there's a need. Uh, of course, there's overall trend out there, uh, but also we believe there is actually an ROI for application who to use human ID. So think about it. You are, uh, for example, grinder, uh, <laughs> and uh, you don't, uh, or some sort of um, uh, community, and your user prefer to be anonymous, and you only offer them a phone number based login, an email number, uh, email address login, or social media login. They, they don't feel secure because they don't want to reveal their identity, right? So for us, the ROI we're providing to our clients are like higher conversion rate, higher engagement rate, because you are preventing bots. It wouldn't be like you go on Twitter and you, you just don't trust it anymore. So it's much cleaner, it's much civil, more civil dialogue. Um, so I think there's a clear ROI for our clients. That's why they're paying for us. That's really interesting. Yeah. So how would you say Harvard specifically has helped you in this process of starting this nonprofit? Yeah. Uh, well, I think for me personally, it would be meeting Bastry in the first place. But, um, I've always come from the for-profit sector. Um, a second, I think the school has a huge uh, social enterprise initiative, uh, you know, pushing left to right and center. Uh, there are conferences, uh, and you know, one of my best class uh, I've taken at HBS is Social Enterprise Initiative. It's taught by uh, the founding member of Acumen Fund. Uh, it really explores what makes you social enterprise, what makes you nonprofit, what, what does philanthropy mean? 
Um, so I, I have to say, like, I'm very grateful that school pushed me into that direction because I wouldn't have naturally gone that route uh, had there not been a push. Interesting. And I know a lot of um, startups sometimes will have like a mentor from the school. Did you guys have a mentor or did you try to find one? Uh, we had actually lots of um, mentors or just help from everyone. Uh, we received uh, $20,000 from the Harvard Social Impact Fund. And I, we wouldn't have gotten that without Professor helping us, you know, helping us to, to tone our uh, pitch um, and also introducing us to industry uh, thought leaders because we don't really have the nonprofit um, experience. Um, so the professor would really uh, come in and help. You know, this is, this is a startup, but it's also a nonprofit, right? So why the decision to make it a nonprofit versus a for-profit organization? Yeah, um, we believe that this that idea wouldn't work out if it's for-profit, period. Like nonprofit is the only route. Uh, and the reason is down to this cheesy word called trust. <laughs> um, <it's> so cheesy. <laughs> very cheesy, yeah. Um, because if you're a for-profit, there's no way that can guarantee that you won't sell users' data. You won't do things to re do some return, uh, have some return to shareholder. You, you wouldn't stray away under pressure of any sort. Um, so we insist to be nonprofits so that we are really serving the cause. We want human ID to be a public good. Uh, everybody deserves to have one digital identity. Every online community deserves to have real people voicing their voice rather than uh, bots. Mm, that's really inspiring. And was this decision like something that you and the other two co-founders sat at a table and discussed or was it always going to be that all along? It's, it's always going to be that. There's no question asked. Yeah. Another question I want to ask is about kind of revenue and business modeling. So a common misconception that, you know, some people who aren't experienced in the nonprofit space, they think that maybe nonprofits don't make money or whatever. How do you, what's your response to that? And, and how did you guys figure out how to make money? Yeah, uh, we definitely don't want to beg money every day. I have been begging money every day. <laughs> we are fundraising at the moment. It's so hard <laughs> for people to give you money for free without like any equity. Uh, so we do plan to be self-sustaining uh, by 2022. How are we going to do that? Uh, we are going to charge our client uh, based on usage. Uh, and it won't be more than their current SMS uh, cost because we're, we're using OTP verification uh, with the security of a nonprofit, of course. Um, and the reason we think it's important to be self-sustaining is that fundraising costs you lots of resources and is never stable. Um, and second of all, we want to, we want to have this nonprofit as a for-profit business. Uh, we want clients to see the true value and are willing to pay us. Because if we don't do this, you know, we, we're just not gonna be here uh, five years down the line. And then on the other hand, because we can't be for profit, we have to be nonprofit. So we kind of figure out this way to be a, with a for profit motive, but still run as a nonprofit. For example, we will only charge like marginally uh, more for our clients just to cover like some administrative or tech cost. We, we will not uh, overcharge you for profit at all. Uh, but I do think you bring up a very interesting topic around when founders are working in social impact space, how do you choose whether you're a social enterprise or 
a nonprofit. Um, I am for social enterprise in general. I believe that there is, you can create a market out of anything and a profit would help you accelerate taking a bunch of money at the same, right? Uh, the exponential gro growth, the hockey stick growth will be there. There's a lot of benefits. Uh, however, I do think you've got to be careful uh, of the nature uh, of, of your products and how easy for you to stay away from your original um, vision. Uh, and I think that's a decision that founders have to ask themselves, like, what are you comfortable with? Uh, don't be nonprofit because it sounds uh, glorious. Uh, it, yeah, you, it wouldn't scale. Yeah, that's actually such an interesting point you bring up, like the dilemma that especially founders in social good spaces, like you said, they have to like balance the pros and cons. Another thing I want to talk about is you mentioned that this is basically a B to B to C uh, product, right? And you said that you're, you're imagining that the initial set of customers are going to be enterprises with kind of inherent security concerns. So can you tell me a little bit more about that process of deciding, you know, who your initial set of customers was going to be? Yeah, I, minor correction is the inherent privacy uh, concerns. So privacy is part of their business model. Um, so an example, I always give an example is a COVID tracking. Nobody wants to know that the government is actually tracking you or any uh, companies tracking you. Um, another example would be Tinder. Uh, I don't know a lot of, if people know like Tinder, Hinge, they've all moved away from Facebook login for different reasons. Now, privacy isn't the only reason, but we see this like general trend of people moving away from social login to email base or phone number login, but they still don't solve the privacy needs. Uh, so that's one thing. There, there are companies doing that already. But the second, when I, what I meant when I say inherent, it means that they need us. We are a must-have. We're not a nice-to-have, right? This is when you do like go-to-market as founders, especially during the founders-led sales. These are the pain points you got to address. You don't go to your client and be like, "Hey, maybe try us." No, right. they're like they're they're a company. They're like crunching with their. Um, uh, where their cash as well, right? You've got to show them there's real value out of you. Therefore, we're targeting our initial set of customers who just need this anonymity layer. So one company that I've been talking to is abortion consultation site. I mean, the use case is just there, like so obvious. And the founder was telling me like, I can't wait for you guys to be like fully live. We can integrate with you directly, right? Because for a startup to do that themselves is very costly. If they integrate us, like, you know, things are taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up an, yeah, good point. Like you want to find the customers where you are the painkiller, not just a vitamin, like a, a nice to have. Another thing I want to talk about before kind of focusing on the today and how COVID is affecting you. So there's three co-founders and there's almost a dozen volunteers. I saw on the website, there were like a ton. Um, how did you get so many people helping? Yeah, I think this is the best part of working on a human ID. People want to help. I think, I mean, coming from for-profit sector and worked in crypto, sometimes you lose trust in humanity because everybody just see dollar sign in their eyes. Uh, with Human ID, we just, uh, you know, put our, our JD out there on different school websites. We're in Boston, so there are a lot of good universities around. Um, our students pour in. And I think with the increasing focus of um, civil dialogue on the internet, um, uh, such courses in university, students are naturally very interested. Uh, our volunteers have actually done research uh, on fake news, on 
you know, Russians deploying bots and all of that, like they're actually more knowledgeable than us. So I do think that our cause attracts a set of people who care about or who want to change something of how internet is behaving right now, because I think everyone can see it. It's got a problem somehow. Right. <laughs> but that also leads me to another question. Like, these people obviously have heard about you. And yes, they're definitely interested in helping. But how did, how did you get to that point of them hearing about you? Uh, so, uh, well, our recruitment tool is pretty straightforward. We go to this university's career website and we just put ourselves out there. Uh, we also have a pretty large network between Harvard and MIT. Um, so it's, it's mainly our network. And uh, we haven't really, we really didn't try really hard. I think it's just the cause naturally attract people. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Um, so last question before we move on to sort of the founders couch fire round that I, it's a new name that I've come up with. Mm -hmm. um, but how, how do you think COVID is affecting the company? Yeah, so COVID is actually accelerating human ID in a very odd way uh, because anonymity is key to COVID tracking and, you know, that's our solution. So we've, we've, we've gained some uh, major uh, traction over there. Right now, we're integrating with a COVID tracking app in India, which will be live in two to three weeks. Um, so we probably wouldn't have gotten our first paying clients so quick without COVID, but I'm not saying COVID is a great thing, but right. I think we're, we're just lucky that it accelerates us. Um, but I also think um, COVID posed this really interesting, you and I talked about this like ethical, um, philosophical debate around um, privacy as well as, you know, tracking your whereabouts and kind of as a responsibility to society. Uh, so it's definitely an area where for us to explore a use case, extremely convenient, um, and also allow us to go around the world to see where can we be helpful. Um, and lastly, um, I would say that COVID on the um, internet community sense, because there's so many fake news out there, um, it also kind of put us um, as a potential solution to solve uh, the bots, but the bot network um, online. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like even amongst some of my friends, they've been talking about how they're seeing all these like fake COVID news. So I definitely can see why it's becoming even more relevant now. Yeah. So let's move on to the Founders Couch Fire Round, where basically I'll uh, throw at you five quick questions. Are you ready? All right, first question, most memorable experience at HBS? Uh, the best experience was uh, when I was, the entrepre um, uh, sorry, when I was the co-president of the Entrepreneurship Club, we invited rapper Logic uh, on campus for a five-set chat. Uh, so he and his uh, uh, manager uh, came over and you know, we're, ch we're chatting about business, music business, all the business school stuff. And out of the blue, he started wrapping his answer. Like he just put everything into a rap and people would just start applauding. Wow. Um, so he was in town for a concert. At the end of the event, he gave everybody a VIP um, access to his concert. Um, oh, God. So I think that, that was an interesting moment because people think business school people are boring. Uh, but that's all true. Every element has a business. Uh, every industry has a business element in it. And uh, the, 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 the session with Logic definitely made me realize that um, the combination of art and business is, is quite unique. Mm -hmm. I wish I was there. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Second question, favorite class at HBS and why? 
Yeah, I think it's uh, the social enterprise initiative class um, that I took. Uh, and the reason is I well, was not exposed to the space before. Uh, but the, I think the most important reason is the professor. Uh, the professor was actually the founding member of Acuma, extremely knowledgeable. Um, and the way I think he combined doing good and doing business and efficiency uh, is just eye-opening. Quarantine activity that keeps you sane. Human ID. I, 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 thought, I, thought hard, <laughs> I thought hard about this question and uh, I think it really keeps me sane. It, it keeps <laughs> me focused on the vision of why am I doing this? Yeah, I love that. That's so funny. One word or phrase that embodies your human ID journey? Um, family. That's so, I love that. That's so cute. <laughs> Last question, where do you see human ID going and what are the next steps for Shu Yao Kong? Yeah, I mean, ideally, I would say that human ID is going to scale to a billion people, two or three, uh, but I think that's bullshit. Um, where I think human ID will be is that no matter how big or small it is, we are surfacing an issue that everybody should be aware of. We have our own approach, but we're not bound to our product. We're bound to the problem we're solving. Uh, I hope human ID will gain some attraction. If not, maybe join an industry standard along with other startups who are solving the problem. We're not going to stop from solving this problem, period. Um, for me, myself, um, I think I live day by day. Anything that's beyond a week is a bit far. Um, so right now, because we have all these like 20 volunteers, uh, working with them is, is my immediate next step to make sure that they're having fun, they are learning stuff. Uh, I think it's more important than, than anything else. I, I just enjoy working with everybody who is you know, volunteering their time for the cause. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Just speaking these past like 20 or so minutes has been, it's inspired me. Like I feel, I can feel your passion through this screen. So that's amazing. I'm excited to, to see where you go, Shu Yao. And thank you so much for coming on the couch. Thank you. What a great discussion that was, especially the piece about the ethical dilemma social good founders often must think through. Thanks again to Shuya for coming on the couch. I'm excited to see where she goes with Human ID. And thanks to all of you for tuning into this episode. Make sure to subscribe to Founders Couch wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any feedback, suggestions, questions, or any existential thoughts, write to us at founderscouchpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're all about that social media life and want to see more from us, follow us on Instagram at Founders Couch. Friday after next, I'll be digging deep into another student founder's journey. Make sure to tune in June 12th for another Founders Couch Friday. I'm Kevin Jang, and you've been listening to The Founders Couch. See y'all soon!